Hey guys, hey, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I got to tell you, the next guest that I have on the show today, I've wanted to have since almost day one. We've done 100 podcasts, and I'm getting them now on, on podcast 103, and I wanted to have them on podcast number two. But, um, you know, what is that, that whole thing, that old saying? Good things come to those who wait. So good things came to those who wait, and I've been waiting, and I got them. So thank you so much for our guest today for being here. He's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an innovator and a cannabis thought leader. He's been involved in this industry since 1983, and he has overseen the cultivation of more than over a million plants and is responsible for 53 innovations in the world of cannabis cultivation. In 1999, he founded Advanced Nutrients, which today generates more than $150 million in annual sales in 107 countries. Big Mike Stramaeus, thanks so much for being here and being a part of Let's Be Blunt with my talk, sir. It is great being here. It, it took a little bit to, to get us together, but I'm really glad we're here today. I am too, man. I got to tell you yeah. something. You have been just, you have resurfaced in my brain, I'm going to tell you, a million times since oh. back in 1999. Because I, I honestly, I came to the table with cannabis Literally after my diagnosis with MS yeah. to become a daily user. But before that, I was, you know, I dabbled a little bit when I was, you know, doing my shows, kind of a recreational guy, barely doing it maybe once or twice a week. Yeah. And then I shifted over when I got my diagnosis with MS. And I honestly wanted to reach out to you back in 2001, but wow. was afraid because back then we didn't have the same landscape that we have today. It was the dark ages. Yeah. We're coming out of the dark ages, I should say. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, by the way, I've been wanting to, to, to hook up with you for a, for a while, like, you know, meet you and stuff. So, uh, you know, next time we'll have to be face to face. Absolutely. So we're going to have to, as soon as some of this silliness stops and comes to an end, um, you know, a lot of people may not even be familiar with you and aware of you. And I want to make sure that they get a big dose of Mike today. Okay. Let's start back up a little bit. Let's talk about this from the beginning, man. I mean, when did you become a cannabis enthusiast and, and really an entrepreneur. You were an entrepreneur long before anybody was thinking yeah, about this. Yeah. Wow. I guess to become a uh, cannabis enthusiast, I started when I was 12 years old. My dad had three joints rolled up in his drawer and I watched him there. You know how kids go in the drawers and I saw them there and I, I watched them for about, a, I don't know, about a month or so and nothing was moving. So I decided to, to take <laughs> one and, 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 and see what this was all about. And, and I liked it. It made me smile and I felt good. And I can remember I was 12 years old getting on that bus and, you know, going to school. People were like, why are you so happy? I said, I don't know, just them. And uh, that's that's my first taste of it. And then after that, uh, I had some friends at a lawn care company called Turf Pro. It's like a, a Chemlon True Green type of thing way back when they initially started. And I had these two salesmen working for me. And they kept saying, you know, you know a lot about plants and, and, and turf and all this stuff. And we, we have a business. We think we can make a lot of money together. And they wouldn't tell me what it was. They just kept teasing me and teasing me. And then one day they took me to their home and they opened the door in the basement. And there was these probably about four or five lights hanging, kind of scraggly lights and some plants there. And they go, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. I said, what is this? And they go, this is growing hydroponic and you can grow cannabis this way. And I, I said, OK, tell me more about it. They did. They explained it. I said, OK, I'm in. What do you need me to do? The first thing they said, well, do you know how to take something called clones or cuttings? They go, I have no idea. And there was so little information in 1983 
like and so I found this thing called the floating broth method, where you take a piece of styrofoam and you put the the stem through, and before that you roll it in some uh, some you know some some hormones. And I got it to work, and they, they thought I was this massive genius. So uh, I got them to root, and we were partners for a while. And uh, you know, we started out with a dozen lights, uh, 500 square feet inside a warehouse, and uh, as they say, the rest is history. Just kept, kept yeah, but, but you look back, 1983. I tell you, back in 1983, I was literally, let's see, I had just graduated from the uh, Defense Life Institute, in Monterey, California. Yeah, before. sure. Yeah, and I was getting ready to go to sea on summer. Matter of fact, 1983. I probably, that's when I went, uh, I was on a, a destroyer uh, that ended up landing me on Grenada during a Grenada invasion. Well, oh, that's and right. Yeah. I went after Grenada. I uh, ended up going on submarines. So I was active duty military. I wasn't thinking about cannabis at all. No way. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I had been like you, you know, instead of 12, I think I was maybe 14 years old. I just started in a band. And I remember, uh, you know, all the guys in my band were over age 25 and older. I was playing in nightclubs when I was 14 years old. And I remember oh, wow. I came out of, I went out on a break and they were all in the, in the van. And I'm like, what y'all doing? I knocked on the door. They said, no, you can't come in here. I was like, well, what y'all doing? And I remember when they rolled out the window, this big cloud of smoke came out. And I was like, I smelled what it was. I was like, that's really weird. But I've noticed, like, maybe I took 10 steps to go sit back on the back porch because I, I played in the van. I tell you, this is a really crazy time. I played in a band. Well, man, this is 1973, 1972, 73. And uh, let's see, no, 71. And I was too young to be in the club when I wasn't playing. So they made me go outside, sit out back, so they didn't want to get busted having a juvenile in a nightclub. Sure. And so I remember I took a walk from the van to where I had been sitting. But, you know, when they opened up that window, I went, what y'all doing? And I took such a big whiff that I remember sitting out back at that club going, dang, what is going on with me, man? I started, I caught a contact real quick. You know what I mean? And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I had a little bit more of that, if I feel better. So the next night that the band got it, we had another gig. I went to the guitar player who was the guy leading the pack. And I said, man, you know, I want to have a little bit of that stuff that you guys had. He said, well, if you do it, I'm not going to say anything. I'll never tell your father that I gave it to you. You better not ever tell him that I did. I said, no, I never will. And from that point forth, you know, throughout the rest of my high school years before I went to the military, I pretty much was an avid consumer myself. So I remember those days. Um, but now this is not just go 10 years later, 1983, when you started, Man, this was as illegal as illegal could be. I mean, they were oh, running yeah, absolutely trying, was, their yeah. to, trying their best to put everybody and their mother in jail. Especially, I remember yeah. dragging people off in gurneys out of their homes in Northern California. There's people that were laying on hospital beds, dragging them to the police department. How did you avoid, you know, getting busted in this gray black area? Well, I did my homework. Uh, I was one of these guys. I I, I went and I, I took electronic uh, counter surveillance. I had guys, believe it or not, from from like the FBI, the DEA, uh, RCMP were teaching courses in Washington, D.C. And I got into these courses and I learned all about how they do what they do from the guys who are doing it. And so I was able to set up, uh, figure out frequencies and, and uh, scanners and uh, all kinds of electronic gear that would, uh, you know, radio, radio frequency counters and stuff. And I found the frequencies that they were listening to and one had rolling encryption, and I figured out how to kind of break rolling encryption, so I was able to, to listen to them. 
And then I had cell phone intercept uh, equipment as well. And so I was able to, uh, this is before the digital age, uh, I was able to hear what they were saying and where they're going, and where they're talking. So I always knew where they were at all times. Uh, I even put them under surveillance because I want to see what, who they were and what they looked like, what kind of vehicles they drove. I got all their license plates, numbers of vehicles and all that stuff. I always knew my area very, very well. I had superior knowledge of terrain. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I'd spend two to three hours a day just listening to what they were saying. I had the recorders going and uh, I stayed safe that way. Yeah, it's crazy now. I hear what you don't know is that by my job in the military, I was a special duty intelligence officer, a cryptologic officer. There you go. Wow. That's all I did was listen to conversations and things yeah. and find my best yeah. interpreting and that kind of stuff. But it's crazy that we have cut so many things that are kind of similar in that background. But that's like 83 to, you know, there were no cell phones then. So cell phones started out at about what, 87, 88. You had the car phones and those things. And then, so we still didn't have any legalization anywhere. Yeah. So were you just growing and selling in the black market? Yeah, I was growing, selling in the black market. Didn't like the nutrients. There's really no nutrients for cannabis. There was there was no nutrients for cannabis out there at the time. And people were using all these different kind of products. And so I said, what are you guys using? They gave it to me. And I, I kind of started playing around with the the, the the macros, the secondary and micronutrients and figuring some stuff out, seeing what the plant responded to. And I got... I got some good results, but but it wasn't until I moved to Canada in 90, 1996, I got I picked up a little heat, you could say, from from growing, and I thought, eh, better get out of get out of Illinois. I went to California. Uh, I I grew for one year, got uh, some money saved up. Uh, I got thirty seven thousand five hundred dollars. I saved up, took twenty five thousand with me, gave my brother twelve thousand five hundred. Said, hold this just in case something happens, I got to come back, and I, and uh, I headed up to Canada, and in Canada it became. They were talking about federally legalizing it. And a couple of years later, they federally legalized that. And when they did, I said, this is a great time now. Well, I was already mixing different nutrients and finding, you know, doing different things and handing them to my friends, uh, grower friends. They liked it. They said, you should, you should put this product out in the marketplace. And uh, I said, okay, I, I did. And I realized I wanted answers. I wanted to find the truth. And the truth is in science. And so I said, how can I find, get real science? How can I do this? So I went to UBC University. They go, oh, we have an arm called BC Research. And there was a scientist there. They took me in the back room. They go, hey, look at this. We have tissue cultures. They were doing tissue cultures way back then uh, uh, out of UBC, kind of like, you know, in the, in the back room. And they said, we would love to do this project, but we, don't, we have to be able to intake. And the only way that we can intake is we know that BCIT, uh, British uh, Columbia Institute of Technology, has a license to intake it. I said, let's see if we can connect the two and work this thing out. And they were able to. And so I would take, uh, I would, with cancer patients, uh, we were able to put grows into different people's homes uh, so they could get their medicine and we could also do research. We took, uh, I took samples from stems, stalks, uh, leaves, and, and buds from many different strains every single week of veg and every single week of, of the flowering process and saw exactly what that plant, you know, could take. And then I said, okay, now where are all the scientists, the, the minds are in the ag world for, for plant research. I found that group is about 150 to 200 of these top scientists from all around the world. When you name the university, their top guys were there, including the big ag companies. And I just started talking to them. What are you guys working on? What I found out most scientists, they got some, some, some project on the side. So what are you working on? What do you got? What do you have? You go, oh, I, I have this, I have that. I said, oh, why don't you send me some? And I did that. Send me some of this, send me some of that. 
And uh, I tried a lot of experiments on and seeing what would work and what wouldn't work and found some, some, some goodies that did work very, very well, was able to optimize that plant and bring it to its you know, true uh, genetic potential. That's incredible. Now, you know, again, we keep crossing, yeah. keep crossing past my friend because they, again, 1996, 97, you know, um, I literally back then, had just started kind of going in and out of Canada myself, 97, 98. Oh, wow. And then, you know, I wasn't consuming much, but then 99 rolls around, I get diagnosed MS. Then after that, 2001, two, three, four, five, I literally went to BC almost every year because for me, wow. I did better in the cold with my illness. You know, I got hot, it exacerbated my, my illness. So I would go to BC and go snowboarding. Yeah. And then up in BC, I literally got turned on to the Vic, you know, the Vancouver Island Compassionate. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I uh, back then I can't remember the guy's name. Philippe was a guy. Who yeah, Felipe. Was, yeah, yeah. Felipe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Lucas I, or something. Felipe Lucas or something like that. Yeah. 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 He, he, he literally turned me on, got me my very first um, volcano. Those are, yeah. So I got my very first volcano through Felipe and. Uh, Literally never look back, and so I mean it's really funny how we've got so many. Did you ever go talk to? Did you ever go talk to Mark Emery? Did you ever go down downtown in in Vancouver and, and talk to him? I I think didn't did he not have a place that you could literally go and consume at? I didn't yeah. get a chance to talk to him, but I talked to some members of his staff and literally was in his facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so that's right off in, in the beginning. You know. That's so crazy, man. So, you know, you start doing good up in Canada. Then when did you decide to come back to the United States? Well, it wasn't by choice. So <laughs> I'll get to the story. So I grew it was I always wanted to have a hundred lighter. And so I thought, okay, where can I mitigate my risk? Where can I go in the world? It was either Amsterdam or it's Canada. And I started talking to Mark Emery on the phone. He goes, no, it's a free-for-all up here. You ought to come up here and and for the amounts that you want to grow, what you're talking about doing, you're not going to do much time if you get caught. You might do six months a year or something like this, and probably nothing. He said, actually, those give me probation. So I, I went down there. My dream was to have a hundred lighter, and and when I, you know, got to that goal, there's other people going, hey, you know, set me up, set me up. And the next thing I know, I had 1,496 lights going. Uh, my biggest place was a 500 lighter. Had a couple 300 lighters going. You know, it uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And then, of course, you know, you, 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 the police, uh, you know, they're paying attention and uh, they I caught their attention and some things happened. And uh, they literally came to my house and took me literally like this kidnapping. They took me. I said, hey, you're supposed to take me to the police and you know, all this stuff. They go, no, 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 no. They literally drove to the border and the. Uh, the border patrol guys are talking to RCMP. They stopped. They talked. Da, 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 da. And so I'm in the backseat going, you can't do this. This is a due process. You got to take me to the judge. They actually, then they left. They stopped at the border. And and it was kind of like a Thelma, Thelma and Louise moment. They looked at each other. The one guy goes, should we do this? The other guy says, no, we have to. And they were literally stopped at the border. And they <clears throat> drove over the border. And uh, that's the story. And that's how I got over the border. By the way. I'm glad they did it because when they did that, I was able to focus on advanced nutrients 100%. And uh, it was probably one of the best uh, things that ever happened to me was them actually taking me over the border because it it changed uh, the, the my whole life. And brought you back to the United States. And so then yeah. you started, where did yeah. you, you go to there? 
Oh, I went to uh, to Washington State for about six, seven months, and I moved down to La Quinta, uh, California. Yeah, and then mm -hmm. I was I was here, and then I just kept just driving the business and, and and figuring it out, and flying back and forth to Bulgaria because I had a license. I was able to get a license from the country of Bulgaria to study cannabis. At the time, there was only three. This was the third license ever given out. GW Pharmaceutical had one in, in the UK and Tikkum Ulam had one in, in Israel and then we had one. And so for the, you know, I was able to do massive amounts of, of, of research there. We were allowed to keep one kilo of either flour or concentrate for research purposes at one time for what we grew. We had uh, cameras on an incinerator and they would watch us throw it in the incinerator and burn it after the experience. That's absolutely insane. I spent some time in Bulgaria myself also. Uh, Bulgaria is leads the world in a couple of things, but um, it's incredible. So now, then you started watching all the legal changes taking place in the United States, right? Oh, well, I can remember my brother and I were, were, were trimming weed in the, in the US and I said to him, I go, John, one day this is all going to be legal. And he goes, when do you think? I go, we'll see it in our lifetime. And literally, it was probably about 17, 20 years later, it uh, it, it became a, a reality where we are uh, today. Uh, so it's uh, it was quite a ride. I had a feeling when I saw Canada federally had medical marijuana, I knew that that was that was the uh, going to be the crack in the door. So it cracked the door open, so to speak. And uh, it was was I figured it's going to take some. Oh, and then about a year before that, they were talking about Prop 215 in California inter introducing that. And so I said, okay, the writing's on the wall. This is going to be legal at some point. And uh, very early on, I, I just was very certain that it was going to become legal in some form or uh, matter within 20 years from you know, what I was doing. Yeah. Well, now we see that it has become legal, but there still seems to be so many issues. I mean, I mean it's, it's almost like, like uh, going back in the dark ages again, especially in California. And I'm, I don't, I'm not knocking, they did, move the paradigm forward, but they, it was that old thing, take two steps forward and six steps backwards. So they move the paradigm forward two steps, and then every municipality decides to make their own stupid draconian laws and rules and regulations and add more taxes and add more packaging and add more ignorance and drive it back underground again so that now it's more robust in the black market than it is in the legal market. Yeah, so are you exactly right. We've got a we have a more sophisticated black market now than we ever had because they know how to do extraction, they know how to do edibles, they know how to make vape pens. They can do all these different delivery systems that were before was just smoking a joint. So and now it's it's a totally different game. And because you're right, they taxed it so much that the black market is thriving. Uh, look, uh, the black market. There's a lot of questionable product that are, that is out there. There are some really you know conscientious. Growers in the black market that are that are doing it right, they just choose not to come out of the, the the dark and into the light. But there's a huge black market, and I've talked to, uh, up at folks in Sacramento. And I said, you know, during COVID, you ought to just take all the taxes away out of uh, out, out of cannabis uh, in the state of California, and that would uh, help extinguish the, the the black market, move it more into a, a you know more accessible to people because you can, you can go to get it for half the price in the black market. And, and, and that, by the way, some of the, the best growers and the and best breeders are still in the black market today. They haven't come out. And what did, what did the legislators say? They're going to think about it. Huh? Well, they're going to think about it. And Steve D'Angelo has told them it's exactly the same thing. So who knows? We'll see what they do. They're still thinking about it. But that's yeah. like, you know, right. At now. least, at least we brought it to the table and uh, we'll see what they do. 
But I mean, you know, but that also brings me to the conversation about, you know, we just had an election and, you know, we took a look at the, the election on November 3rd and everybody thinks that, you know, Biden was the big winner, but really cannabis was a big winner. Huge. On November 3rd. Huge. Huge. When you get Mississippi to yeah. medical marijuana by 70%. Yeah. Yeah, that was a South Dakota by seventy yeah. percent. Yeah, you know, I mean, the nation needs to wake up and recognize that we, the people, are speaking out right now, saying that this is something that really is a waste of time. What, what do you think? What, first of all, what do you think about the incoming administration? I've had my views on them, um, both uh, Vice President Biden and Kamala Harris. And Vice President Biden has recently, like six months ago, had the nerve to have the words come out of his mouth, you know, uh, uh, still gateway drug. And I was like, somebody should smack him upside the backside of his head. And then, you know, Kamala Harris, depends on which which way the wind's blowing, is what you get out of her when we know that when she was the attorney general, you still had a significant amount of arrests going on, especially of brown and black people in the state of California, where you have legal cannabis, more and more brown and black people got arrested after it was legalized. My feeling is this. I, I, I don't care who gets in office, whether Trump stayed in office or Biden gets in. We're going to go in the worst economic downturn that I've seen in my entire lifetime. Uh, the economy is just, this COVID has taken a hit on the economy. It's messed with people's heads, their psychology. They're, they're consuming more, more cannabis, but they're going to need to tax it because they're looking for revenue sources. And 30 to 40% of all small to medium businesses are now gone. So they are going to need money. And they're looking at taxing it. Uh, if you look at the, uh, I think it's the uh, the, the Moore Act. They said five percent tax. They, they want a federal tax. They want to put on cannabis. My belief is in 20, 2022 to twenty twenty three, it's going to be federally legal, just by pure economics. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, we probably will have one or two states that'll just be diehard holdouts. Uh, Utah, just, maybe. Uh-huh. Utah, I don't know. Utah has been getting closer and closer. I think, you know, well, there's more and more people smoking pot in Utah than they know. So, you know, I think that Utah will probably pass, but, you know, you never know. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, I thought Oklahoma would be the 49th or 50th state to, to take it on. I was really surprised when Oklahoma made the move they did because they had some of the most draconian cannabis laws in America. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been crazy, my friend. Well, you know, um, we now are looking at, again, we have 39 states and the District of Columbia that have now legalized yeah. uh, in some way, shape, or form, whether it be medical or recreational or adult use. Yeah. New Jersey was huge. You know, it's going to push New York to change a lot of what they're doing. Oh, yeah, they are. New York and Texas are both talking about putting it through the legislature and, and, and pushing it through now because the competition from the neighboring states. And, you know, come on, all the revenue they're going to lose for people just going across the bridges. I mean, you know, you know people just drive across the bridge, buy right. something, come home. That's revenue that the state of New York is losing. Right now, when New York is literally facing this mass exodus of yeah. cities. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, that that's going to be one of the driving forces. I know that, you know, with your advanced nutrients, you know, there's more and more need for that in all of these states. Yeah, our business has gone off the hook. It's like unbelievable. We're at about a hundred and three million, and we just jumped to we're at one sixty, probably one sixty-three right now. And it looks like the current demand 
globally for our product is around 275 to 300 million. And so I had to go in and I had to get new equipment, bigger equipment. I've been probably put close to $5 million. I've spent in probably about a million bucks a month uh, since COVID has, has hit in one way or another, upgrading everything in our company and, and, and getting to be able to uh, produce more. Uh, we're looking in Vegas now for for a, for a facility to put up for our, our powder line and our organic lines, liquid organic lines, true organic. It, it is it is insane that you know this is probably the only recession proof industry in America today. Yeah, I it is. I also believe that because so many people are using, it, we have a whole new customer base that's been exposed to it, and quite frankly. People are going to, you know, the CB1 receptors in their brain start getting habituated to Delta 9. They like it. And so we're going to have a lot of, a lot more folks using cannabis going forward for, for many, many different reasons. And we're not even talking about a hemp and the textile and industrial uses of, of cannabis. Once that kicks in in full throttle here, it's going to help a lot of, a lot of the farmers out. Right now, the infrastructure is not there for, for harvesting and processing. Well, do you think that, you know, I just read an article recently about the fact that China right now yeah. could within months be the largest provider of hemp in the world. So it's going to impact what's going on here. Yeah. So in China, I had uh, someone come up to me and said, you wouldn't believe what they're doing there for hemp. I go, what are they doing? They go, they have these one acre buildings all under glass and they have big 10,000 gallon reservoirs in there. And I, they, you know, there's, they're growing hemp indoors. I go, okay, how many of those buildings do they have? He goes, as far as your eye can see, he goes, there's like a thousand of these buildings that each have an acre, you know, indoors growing. And it must be for, for that uh, CBD production, what you're talking about. And, and yeah, they're, you know, China's is trying to set themselves up as the, uh, the CBD, you know, source for the world. I don't know. I, I don't know if I could, you know, trust China a hundred percent. I don't know, someone like Germany or France or Spain or something like this, countries like this, United States, I would, I would trust, uh, you know, our countries and over in Europe, but China is just, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's really strange to me because I, I think they, they have been known to cut corners when it comes to everything. Oh yeah. So, you know, I, I wouldn't trust their product either, but you know, I'm working uh, and talking to a company out of Columbia right now that is working very, very diligent. It's a U.S. company. It's down in Columbia that, that has a huge amount of acreage and they are in the process of, you know, helping to transition off of, cocaine and all those ugly, terrible things and transitioning over to hemp and to cannabis because, you know, you see the handwriting on the wall. You know, the United States has still got these weird draconian laws that doesn't allow for export. And there are a lot of countries out here that are demanding product. And so, you know, um, I'm having some conversations right now in that space to, to see if I can move into Columbia to help out. And um, that's going to impact the U.S., but do you think it'll be that negatively, or uh, you won't be able to import it here? Um, maybe THC products, you will be able to import CBD products, and we're going to see CBD products and hemp products grow exponentially over the next couple of years. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that American farmers will, will answer the call, and they'll put up the right kind of laws to protect the American farmers. You know, we've been pretty good at doing that. We'll, we'll see. What, we'll see what happens. And the, really, the, the problem with hemp is all the uncertainty right now. It's it's just this shifting sand, and there's so much just uncertainty because the FDA hasn't come out with their their stance. The USDA hasn't come out with their stance. They're all kind of holding back, 
And you know, we don't know if it's can we can we produce hemp for just textile industrial use? Uh, CBD, we can we can do that. Well, you know, what about CBG or CBN or THCV? Because you can program a a, a hemp plant to to put out whatever you want with gene editing these days. You can you can really manipulate that plant to you know do a do a certain sector of, of cannabinoids. Absolutely. What, what seems so crazy to me is that we have allowed, a lot of people don't know this, we've allowed the importation of hemp continuously. I mean, there have been hemp seed protein products in, you know, uh, health food stores for the last 20 years. There's been hemp seed breads in stores for the last 20 years. There's been hemp-based clothing in stores. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, we can't agree to allow hemp-based products to be Eaten here in the United States, it seems crazy to me, man. It's changing. It's uh, it's changing very, very quickly. Are you doing a lot of lobbying at the national level? Not at the national level, at the state level. I'm getting now to do more at the national level. I'm putting together a, a coalition of uh, cannabis companies here just for the sole purpose of, of lobbying because if you don't lobby, it's you're, we're not going to get what we want. Just like yeah, I, mean, I just I had a really good conversation just a few minutes ago with uh, Eugenio Garcia, who's the yeah. founder of, uh, you know, Eugenio, he's the founder of Cannabis Now magazine, Hemp magazine. Yeah. And we were talking about one of the things that I think we both agreed on, and I, I feel very strongly about this, is I think one of the biggest issues facing cannabis and hemp today is the education of the consumer. Contrary to what everybody thinks, you know, we see all these you know, huge conferences across the country that are all B2B conferences. Yeah. Yet we haven't spent as much time in the last five years B2C in it, yeah. educating the consumer, trying to get the consumer to recognize that they've been fed a bill of bullshit for the last hundred years yeah. in the criminalization of this plant. Making sure people understand that, you know, America has a history of hemp. You know, all of our forefathers grew hemp. The Revolutionary Army was clothed in hemp. You know, every tent, every sail, every rope that was ever manufactured in the United States prior to 1937 was made from hemp fiber. Hemp right now is being used over, you know, uh, uh, carbon as a filament for batteries. There are two publicly traded companies right now that have realized that, you know, uh, hemp cellulose material when squeezed together is a better conductor of electricity than you know graphite that we've been using. Do you, you know about that? No. I, I'm just like, this is the first I've heard of it, so it's very, very interesting. Hey, graphite. We can use it for hemp crete. We can use right. it in clothing. And, and, you know, again, most people don't even know that prior to 1937, the majority of people in America ate a hemp-based porridge at least once or twice a week because we knew that hemp was one of the highest protein-laden seeds on the planet. We know this stuff. It's not like this is something new, Mike. This is stuff that's been there, yet we fail to tell the masses, so the masses just then, like lemmings, follow the bullshit. Yeah, we we live in a bubble, uh, a, a cannabis bubble, where we talk to people, where we all, we know the facts, we know everything uh, about it. We've been you know doing this for years, and we kind of lose sight of the fact that the public doesn't, like I said, they've been misled for for the last fifty to hundred years, 
And it's our job to educate. In fact, that's one of the things that I, I do on my Instagram is I, you know, I do some entertaining, of course, you have to, uh, but uh, it's mostly informational about uh, cannabis to, to let people understand and, and uh, you know, take a journey and, and make a decision and, and, and try it without, you know, all of the, the prejudice that I've been put into their brains. So, but I think until we start making it a part of the national dialogue in a conversation, I mean, I know, you know, um, uh, Jim Belushi, I had Jim on my podcast and Jim's doing a really great job, I think, in breaking down some barriers for people who would never consider cannabis or anything like that are now looking at his brand new show. And I think that's what we need. We don't need stoner shows. We need shows that are educated, shows that are giving people good information and you know, baby boomers will be brought to the table a lot quicker this way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was talking to Jim last week, and you're exactly right. That's a great show. I'm so glad to see he's really like the first cannabis show that's that's crossed over into the mainstream that that's educating folks about the plant. And I'm I'm like so proud that he's out there doing that and representing our community really, really well. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, uh, really the industry. I mean, first of all, how, how badly has the, you know, the fires um, in Oregon and California impacted the industry in, on the West Coast? Yeah, it was just a couple of years ago they got hit by fires. Now they got, they got hit again, and this was even even worse than before. It's impacted greatly. You know, it's going to cause the price to, to, to rise. There's a lot of fields that were just literally burned down, but, but more, there's a lot of bud that got ash on it. That has smoke damage, and uh, you know they can they can you know make distillate out of it and stuff like that, remediate some of that out of there. But for the most part, it's it's devastated. Probably about thirty to forty percent of the crop was lost this year. So we're looking at at price gouging to make up for it, right? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happened. Maybe you know they overplanted this year, and things will equalize. It's going to be very interesting to see how this uh, plays out. And, and I know then- I know we we're we're you know we we have a a charity called Humanity Heroes, and through Humanity Heroes, well, as a company, we feel that we, if you're a successful company, you should give back directly to the community in which you get your money from, and society as a whole. So when we heard saw what happened up there, you know, we helped them out two years ago. So this year, we came back even bigger and helped them. We gave two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash and two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of nutrients are going out to growers in southern Oregon, uh, southern Oregon, and northern California. That's great, man. Look, let me do something. I got to take a little break, pay some bill. And then come right back. You know, we've been talking today to Mike. And I, I tell you, Mike, I saw you, Stramaitis. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's a mouthful. That's Big Mike. Mike. That's, that's it. Big yeah. Mike. That's why you go by Big Mike, right? Exactly. Exactly. He's one of the leading thought provokers and thought leaders in the cannabis industry in America and in the world. He's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an innovator. And uh, Mike's got so much more to talk about. I'm going to take a little break, pay some bills. We'll be back right after this. Well, hey, guys, again, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Mato. And today's guest is Mr. Mike Stromay. It's Big Mike, man, Big Mike in the house. I finally got him. Thank you so much, Mike, for accepting the invitation to be a part of Let's Be Blunt today, my friend. I'm glad I'm here. Absolutely. I'm glad you are here because, you know, there's so much more, though, I think that we all have to do, all of us that have been involved in this industry, trying to move it forward. And, you know, I think COVID, though, it has impacted America in such a negative way. Mm-hmm. It seems to have sparked this industry in a positive way. I mean, we're starting to see, you know, I think in, in a way we're almost kind of 
several of the growers and several of the dispensary owners have been claiming that this has been kind of almost recession proof because I think people have sort of making a good decision for themselves. They decided that since they're stuck at home rather than sitting down and sucking down a, you know, a bottle of swill every night, that sure. they realize they feel a lot better when and if they actually are using cannabis. And, you know, again, with the CBD craze, you know, there are a lot more people going in that direction. We are going to be looking at, you know, COVID for at least another year and a half at yeah. the level that we're looking at it now. I mean, I know it's that's terrible for me to say, and a lot of people would smack and say, no, Monto, we got to buy, we have, you know, vaccines coming. Well, the vaccines that are coming aren't going to be available for the majority of the people in this country for at least a year. So it'll be a year from now before we actually see some sort of deployment of vaccine that has an impact. So what do you think is going to happen? Do you, do you think we'll still see the rise in cannabis sales that we've seen? Yeah, it, it, since COVID hit, the literally my nu nutrient sales, fertilizer sales are going up continually. Every month is a new record month, a new record month. People are very stressed, uh, psychologically beaten down. We, you know, we're social creatures and you're, you're, you're putting us basically in cages, our own homes. Uh, that gets old after a while. We want to go out. We want to see our friends. We want to talk. And it's very, very difficult. A lot of people, this is very, very psychologically traumatic to them. Uh, you look at the, I stopped watching the news because it's, it just, it, it just makes you depressed and uh, people watch that stuff and they want to medicate either, you know, they're going to go to alcohol, which is a bad choice compared to cannabis. And the, the people are getting educated they go, look, let me give cannabis a try. More and more people are using cannabis than ever before. So in a way, uh, you know, for, for the cannabis community, that's, that's a good thing because I'm not a proponent of alcohol. I pretty much stopped drinking a long time ago. Yeah, I stopped drinking almost 20 years ago myself. Literally, I, I barely had, and I might have a tiny sip of something on New Year's Eve just to, you know, toast people. But mm -hmm. I, if I'm at an event and there are people toasting with liquor, I throw it right over the shoulder. I, yeah, I, I've not used it at all. I've been, been primarily a cannabis user for now close to 20 years. You, I think you nailed it, the stay-at-home thing. But I think one of the things that, again, let's go back to this education thing that I was talking about sure. for the break. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't know that there's been recent articles written out about uh, peer-reviewed studied articles that were written about the fact that, you know, cannabis and cannabinoids and flavonoids from the cannabis plant seem to have greater medicinal content and efficacy than some of the things that we've had in the marketplace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially for PTSD, there was a, a study that came out of Washington State University that said it uh, reduces PTSD up to 61%. While you're while you're medicated, then of course the effects kind of come back afterwards. So there's, by the way, this is a, a lot of what's going on is causing people PTSD. I mean, they're very very stressed. It's it's trauma for the average person. What COVID has done to our society is very very traumatic. So now you've been primarily in the nutrient space, but you're about to put out your own blends, are you not? Of, of oh, oh yeah, of cannabis. Yeah, we, we're putting that first quarter of 2021. We are. Uh, we take multiple strains. We blend them together so we get a really rich cannabinoid and terpenoid profiles. And then on top of that, we use a, a high terpene extract uh, to really give it a nice, you know, flavor and uh, and, and aroma. That's right. And that's going to be called Big Mike Blends, right? 
big mind blends, absolutely. And they're outcome based, so that's the difference. So we, we do ones like we have morning motivator for the for the for the when you wake up. We got creative kingdom if you want to work and say you're a graphic artist, you don't get too high, but it, it, it stokes creativity. We got uh, mellow me when you come home instead of having a drink, you can have a uh, have a pre roll and uh, or a gummy will be or a, or a vape pen and then you know we've got dank dreams for uh going to sleep and we got sensual sensations for for a better uh actually i made it for the guys that give to the girls uh for you know have, have a good time and then i've got uh, hell's bells which is just the you know, ultimate party it's got it's infused with thca so it, you know it, it, the thc levels through the roof and then we got uh, you know uh, rapid relief for uh for a cbd product and uh, do you have any plans to like, you know, again, I, I want to keep everyone in this industry working towards educating the masses, but do you have any plans? And I guess when you put your product out, are you going to put out like a you know, tutorial to tell people what it's all about and explain to them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A ab absolutely. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's also extremely important. So that mm -hmm. people can at least follow, you know, uh, the, well, the reason why you formulated the way you did. Right. Well, see, growers, growers grow strains. Patients want outcomes. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely correct. That's part of the reason why, you know, I put out a brand, my own branded product, uh, put it out uh, a couple of years back. I was working with CureLeaf and, uh, or Cura, and put out a product that was literally a combination of not only THC, but CBD in the same pre-rolls. Mm -hmm. I had some formulations that, and also 5% terpenes in every single one of my right. Right. So, so you, know, you get a formulation that pretty much similar to what you just done. I, I called Absolutely. it a, a, a 1090, which was 10% THC and 90% CBD, and a 25, 75, a 50, 50, a 75, 25. Yeah. You know, that. You're building a recombinant product, and the future is going to be recombinant products because also when you talk about being able to for counterfeiting and all the all those what you know what's going on, you want to be able to identify your product. They're going to be separating out all the different cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenoids, and then reassembling them. And that product will have an exact fingerprint that you'll be able to, to go, whether it's here or, or in Spain or wherever. You go, yes, that's my product or, or not my product. And you'll also, though, for the consumer and for the patient, be able to identify a product that may elicit the same response each time. Though we know for a fact that based on what you eat, based on your body weight, based mm -hmm. on Know how you're metabolizing at that particular time. That's correct. Differs the reaction that you get, but you can almost pretty much understand if I'm reading something that has the same profile and I'm consuming that same profile, mm -hmm. I should elicit a response within ten or twenty percent of what I've got each time. Exactly, exactly. You're right on the money, and I and I, I I did a little research on your products and stuff, and yeah, you're you're doing it very similar. So there are coming products. I'm telling you, man, I think that's really what is the future of this entire industry. We just got to get people to understand that, you know, and get, get some of the bad players out of the marketplace or out of it. And I think that's, you know, what is that old saying? The weed will rise above the chaff. It's starting to happen. Yep. Right. Yeah. So what's next, Big Mike? You got you got Big Mike Blends coming out. What's next after that? You got any other? Well, product? I've got a, we've got a TV show. Next marijuana millionaire. We're shopping. We've got some interest in some networks. Uh, they'll be interesting to see. We we shot that about a year and a half ago. We had it at one uh, one uh, network, and uh, half the advertisers said the problem is the advertisers. It's not actually the the, the networks and, and and as such. And half the advertisers said yes, they would advertise. The other ones uh, said uh, no, they wouldn't. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's a sur survivor meets Shark Tank. Right. It's kind of crazy, though, that we still are at this place in time when 
Again, the people just spoke. 70% of the people in this country just said it's okay. Big business, pharma. I, I've talked to a few mid-level pharma guys and they basically said we got caught with our pants down. I believe they're just personally just trying to buy time to play catch up. Absolutely. So that they can buy all of the small players out of the market. Yeah. Well, but then, see, I think that's one of those things. I don't know. What do, what do you use this? Because, see, I firmly believe that that's the reason why this industry took a hit about two years ago. Because people realized that the big boys got in only because they saw dollar signs. These were the same big boys who for 30 years said they didn't think cannabis worked. They didn't think cannabis was a medical agent. Now, all of a sudden, I'm supposed to trust you just because you started a company and, and a providing product? No, I'm not going to trust you. If you were so ignorant that you didn't believe in it, you really don't believe in it anymore now. All you believe in is the money. Why would I buy a product from you? They don't respect the culture. I gave a talk probably three, four years ago at an ArcView about, to investors about respecting the culture. And they, they, they just don't. They, they, they look at it. They, they attack it like it's a normal space. And this is why you see so much churn and burn. People are losing millions and billions of dollars in there because they're going in there and they're treating it like a normal space. This is highly regulated on shifting sand right now. And they don't look the, the biggest consumers of cannabis are the core that were using it before. And they're not catering to that core like they should. That's the biggest single mistake that these money guys are making. They're not respecting or understanding the true nature of our culture. I, I agree with you because I think you see again, I'm maybe we're on the same page, I don't know, but I believe where the industry has missed the boat is the fact that everybody jumped out here trying their best to find the highest THC product they could to attract kids to it. But now some kids don't want to use their parents' geritol. We forgot the fact that it's baby boomers who have made this industry available to the masses. They are the legislators who are passing the legislative bills. They are the business guys who are funding the innovation. It's baby boomers who remember that during the 70s, early 70s and, and uh, mid 70s, that they were smoking a little bit in high school and they still have a good life. They didn't go to jail. They didn't mess up their life. They didn't go on to do heroin. They didn't go on to do cocaine. They just stuck with marijuana for the last 40 years. Yeah. It's almost as if we just completely ignored this entire demographic. Yeah. And, and the products that they're pumping out are mediocre at best. And, right. and look, the consumers who are, who are, who, who are, who are, who are, you know, medicating with that, they're used to a quality product and these big, these these big licensed producers, a lot of them are just pumping out the weed, uh, like like it, they're treating it like like it's a weed. Uh, they, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they ir irradiate weed to get rid of the, the the mycotoxins and stuff. They're literally nuking weed, and this is this is a viable procedure. They think they don't understand they're they're, they're destroying the, the 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 terpenoid profiles and some of the cannabinoid profiles by doing that, and and uh, they they just don't understand. But because they don't care. That's and right. it, you know, I think what's going to hopefully will happen, you know, and I hate to say it this way, but you know, once we legalize and it turns into a big growth industry, then the micro brewers will come back out. Yeah. And those are the ones that will be the most successful in sales will be the micro brewers, which will be the original people who were doing this day one. Yeah, well, just like the craft breweries, absolutely. There, there always will be 
that need for high quality product and and you know ultra premium product it's it's it, it will be there and these smaller growers are the ones who'll be delivering that product to the marketplace i agree let's talk a little bit about the you know getting the the, the legislators to understand that probably one of the best things that they could do to this industry is to figure out a way to safe bank to safely utilize and move. Yeah. you know i don't know if you're are you familiar with kind financial no no i'm not well, you need to do that, Mike. I'm telling you, Big Mike guy. I've been I've been been talking to this guy and working with them for you know close to nine years now. They finally got a paradigm convent uh, passed and through. Um, they've created a safe space for banking, and they've created a safe space for credit card use, mm-hmm. uh, non-cash. What's the uh, kind? What'd you call it again? K I N D Financial. Okay. I'm writing that down right now. But I, I uh, turned uh, Stevie D on them and uh, mm-hmm. also turned a company on out of Colorado that are about to utilize them in their services. And this will, will enable any customer to go to a kind, financially backed dispensary castlessly. And I mean, right now, come on, the fact that we are living in a time where we got COVID and people touching money, there's no reason for people to touch money when it comes to touching the cannabis. So I should be able to buy this from my credit card and have you deliver me a bag and leave me alone, right? And the, yeah, and the very fact that, that uh, if the Safe Banking Act doesn't go through, they're actually perpetuating the black market and unsafe product in the in the marketplace. And also, not to talk about, there's stories, they don't make a lot of press, but I've heard stories where people are getting robbed and tied up and their, their money's being taken and they know that they're a dispensary owner and they're, they're literally hold, holding them for, for ransom because they know it's a cash business. And they look, they, they need to get banking. That's one of the biggest things in 280E as well. Be able to take normal deductions and treat this like a normal business. I know Nancy Pelosi, I guess, said she puts in one of the bills she's she put in, she's trying to put in the, the fact of, for a banking law to, to make it. And said, well, hopefully, you know, let's just hope we get through the next two months. We figure out who's going to be the president, even though we know who is elected. Yeah. And then. But let's get through. We get the people in office, and then I think it's going to be a really heavy, you know, lobbying effort there. Because I got, I got, we definitely have to get some education in the president and vice president. I agree. I agree. Absolutely, my friend. Look, you always have a home here, sir. Anytime, I'd love to have you back. And you got to keep me up on what you're into and what you're doing, and maybe we'll pollinate some of the ideas I've got going and and see if we we work together a little bit. And I want to meet you face to face. Absolutely. We've got to get that done, my friend. Of course, I, you know, I, uh, uh, Jim Belushi asked me, he said, well, once this stuff settles down, maybe I'll come out for, you know, his show or something, you know, that we yeah. can do a couple episodes again. I'd love to come out and right. get out California, God, come and meet you throughout the dinner and sit down and chat, my friend. Would love to do that. Thank you. It's great being on your show, Montel. Well, my brother, thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to like thank all of you for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt today where our guest has been really one of the most innovative thought leaders in the industry, Mr. Mike Stromaya. Stromaya. Stromaitis. That's okay. Big Mike. Big Mike. Big Mike. Thank you, sir, for being a part of the show. Make sure you tune into the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.